Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Otha Smith on the Rider Flex podcast. Hello, Otha. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Steve? Hanging in there, man. Are you in Maryland? Uh, yes, I am. It's good to be home after being on the road so often. <laughs> You've been traveling a lot lately? Yeah. Uh, last month, I was only home four days out of the entire month. So, Ooh, Ooh that's yeah. tough. Yeah, really tough. Spent a little bit of time in Chicago, a little bit of time in Massachusetts, Connecticut. Mm. So uh, it was a tough month, but we got it done. Isn't it interesting when you're young and first starting your career, you know, the travel, like the travel sounds great. You know, it's like, oh, I get to travel and be on planes and hotels. That shit, that goes away fast, doesn't it? It gets old super quick. <laughs> oh, yeah, it gets old really quickly. I tell people all the time, they're like, oh, it must be nice to travel. I'm like, no, no. not really. I'm like, <laughs> hotels get old, uh, airports get old, especially when you get delayed. Um, yeah. But you do become an expert at traveling with bare minimums to get what you need accomplished wherever you're going. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. We could do a whole podcast on flying. Yeah. I just, if I never have to fly again, it, I, that's just fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm right, there, right there with you. You know, unless it's like a little private, you know, jet, like where I could go to like a regional airport and just, you know, get on with a few other people. Okay, fine. I'll do that. But pff, the other yeah. stuff, nightmare. Exactly. Yeah. If it's a Gulf stream, then we're talking different languages. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally. You know, commercial air, that's totally, I, I could do without. <laughs> uh, are you in Annapolis? Is that where you live? Uh, so I live about, I live about 30 minutes south of Annapolis um, okay. in, in Crofton, Maryland. So okay. um, not too far from the sailor capital for sure. I, I know the area pretty well. Uh, I worked in uh, DC, DC slash Maryland area uh, for about three years and uh, been to Annapolis many times. Um, cool little downtown and, yep. uh, uh, you know, nice little, cool little bars and stuff. Cool little area. Right. Yeah. I was actually, uh, downtown Annapolis uh, yesterday at, um, a place called O'Brien's cause they have, uh, really good food and they have daily specials. And so yesterday was their muscle special. So $10 uh-huh. big bucket of muscles overlooking the waterfront. Doesn't get any better than that, especially with the weather being like 70 degrees yesterday. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, your mussels and crab in Maryland when the weather's good outside, you know, like on a patio restaurant. Yeah, that's good stuff. There's nothing like it. Obey, <laughs> put obey on everything, you know? <laughs> Seriously. I live in Colorado and uh, I mean, you know, we have seafood restaurants here, but it's not, I mean, there's just no comparison, right? I mean, there's no comparison. And uh, I remember the first time I we went to Maryland. People were like, no, you got to try the crab here. Like, it's a different deal. And uh, I remember the first time I had real crab in Maryland. And I was like, oh, I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is a completely different experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been here, you know, born and raised here 41 years. And uh, 
you know, I always say I will go to other places to potentially live for a while, but I got to come back and die in Maryland because I got to have my crabs and seafood. Totally. Yeah, totally. So you grew up in that area then? Is that where your folks are from? Uh, so, yeah, I, I grew up in a rural part of uh, of Maryland, you know, Annapolis is Anne Arundel County. And so I grew up in south, southern Anne Arundel County. So uh, okay. very rural part of Maryland. You know, I grew up on about three and a half acres of land. You know, my neighbors all had equivalent size property. So cool. very quiet and, um, you know, yeah, just very, very sacred to, to a degree. Talk to me. Talk to me about your mom, dad, siblings. Give me some give me some background there. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of funny because I'm in cannabis because my mom has a doctor in education. So uh, <laughs> you can imagine the whole dare campaign, say no to drugs. And when I left my uh, corporate job to get into cannabis, she was like, so you're going to start selling dope, huh? <laughs> I'm just like, no, no, not doing that. But um, uh, that was pretty funny. Yeah, she rose to the ranks. She started off as a uh, English teacher when I was a kid, um, and then grew to become a principal and then superintendent and so forth. Wow, uh, cool! Wow, that's yeah. great. Good for her. Wow, great, great career. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my father was a computer programmer. Um, okay. He's, you know, like most uh, living so close to Washington D.C., he worked for the government as a uh, as a contractor. And so he did that. And that's what got me into computers and technology. Um, I have two sisters, uh, one older sister, and she runs a daycare facility and has been doing that for, man, I don't even know, probably 20, 30 years now. Okay. Um, I have a younger sister who works for the government as well. So she's a, a contract specialist. So um, she handles all those big contracts that, uh, you know, take place with the government and so forth. So she has a pretty demanding job because she works for FEMA. Ah, oh, really? Okay. All right. Yeah. And then you have me. So I'm uh, I'm in the middle. So. <laughs> uh, do, do your mom and dad still have that property there uh, that you talked about or no? Uh, yeah. So uh, unfortunately, my father passed away close to nine years ago. Oh. Um, but my mother still has the property. So, um, you know, at cool. the time, I was actually living in Baltimore prior to my father passing away. So you know, once he passed away, I moved as close as possible. So that's why I now live in Crofton because, I mean, my mom is 75 years old, three and a okay. half acres of land, pretty nice size house. It's a lot for her to manage. So I'm I'm here taking care of her a lot of the time as well. Wow, it's interesting you bring that up. My mom uh, lives in Oklahoma and uh, her and her husband, they're in their late 70s. Last time I was there and they have 10 acres and last time I was there, you know, uh, you can just tell, like, it's harder. It's just harder to maintain, you know, just, just little things, right? Whatever it might be, little, little repairs, this and that. I mean, you know, to keep a place up like that when you're in your late seventies, it's hard and, uh, and good, good, good move on your part to get closer. Cause, uh, she'll probably need you more as it, as it moves along. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. She keeps me busy. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> But uh, especially in the wintertime, because the house is all electric, so we have a wood-burning stove, and, you know, she can't be lugging in wood or splitting wood, all that stuff. So okay. it's been interesting, to say the least. <laughs> mm -hmm. Were you a good kid? I mean, were you, like, straight-A student? Were you a rebel? Like, what, what, what kind of kid were you? Oh, I was absolutely a rebel. Um, were you? Okay. Yeah, you know, just... Growing up with my mom being a uh, a teacher at first and just like putting such a heavy emphasis on school, 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 I just rebelled. I was like, I don't want to do school. 
school, like you're preaching it all the time. My, you know, friends would know me as, you know, your teacher, your mom's a teacher. So I would get bullied a little bit and I'm like, <laughs> I'm going against the grain. And, and, uh, so yeah, I, I did, I did enough to pass, you know, uh, school always came relatively easy to me. Um, I really didn't have to study. So, you know, I look over things, scan over stuff and then take the test and get a B or a C and be happy with it. Be yourself. But, uh, all right. All right. Yeah. Did you, did you ever get in any trouble? Did you ever have to call dad from the sheriff's office or anything, anything crazy, anything, anything cool? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, again, that's why I'm in cannabis, man. So, uh, you know, I started smoking cannabis when I was like 15 years old because the area that I grew up in with everyone having three, four acres of land, it was notorious for growing cannabis. Gotcha. Um, my neighbor behind us actually uh, got busted years later for growing like acres worth of cannabis. Uh, so you can imagine he got some linebacker years for that. But uh, mm, mm. yeah, I, I definitely been arrested, uh, you know, DUI once, cannabis oh. possessions. Uh, oh, uh. My parents bailed me out. So it's, uh, it was, I gave them a challenge. That's for sure. <laughs> who, was, who was tough? Like, wh wh who was up more upset? Was dad tougher on you when you got home from that? Or was mom or kind of equal? I was just curious. Oh, no, it was definitely my mom. My mom, she was like, you know, you're ruining my reputation. This might hit the news, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and my dad uh, was just so chill. Like when my dad graduated high school, he uh, moved out to California, San Francisco, California. Um, and so he was out there doing the Hayden Ashbury movement, the big hippie movement. Oh, wow. And, oh, okay. Yeah. So he was, he's like, yeah. He, all right. he was like, he was like, he just told me, he was like, just don't get caught with it in your car anymore. He was like, <laughs> I don't care if you smoke weed, but just don't ride with it because, you know, you're going to get arrested. So uh, mm -hmm. after the second time, he was like, didn't I tell you? I was like, yeah, you were right. So <laughs> did you ever smoke with him? Did he ever smoke with you? Nah. So we never had that opportunity, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, we did damn sure drink a lot together. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, I got two two sons. They're both grown. And uh, I, the first time I smoked with my youngest son, and I think now I have smoked with my daughter, too. We have four kids all together. But the first time I smoked with one of the kids, uh, Spencer, he was here at the house. And we were on the back porch, and, and we smoked. And and. It was weird for me. Like, it was just, it was, it was just like, I, I was having like, I was standing there. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm trying to relax, but I can't really, like, this is odd. Like, I don't, I don't know what, how to act. I don't know what to say. This is, this is weird. Uh, I've gotten better at it now. <laughs> I was, I could, I'm better at yeah. it now. First time was, was odd for me. It felt, uh, it felt <laughs> now I'm right there with you. Um, so I have a daughter who's 20, um, goes to school with Virginia tech to, uh, she's studying to be a veterinarian. So, uh, Oh, cool. Yeah, so shout out to my baby girl Alana, but um, awesome. You know, she had never smoked before, but she was she was curious. You know, once I got into this industry, and uh, she was asking what I was doing, and then of course she asked me like, "Do you smoke?" and all that. I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." So I do remember on spring break, uh, we were driving back from Virginia Tech, which is about you know about a five hour drive uh, back to Maryland, and uh, it was like, "You want to smoke?" She was like, "Yeah," and her her eyes lit up. And uh, I was like, open up the glove compartment. And we, uh, she pulled out a joint and we started smoking. And I'm, I'm right there with you, Steve. It was a little awkward at first for like a at good first. Yeah. 
yeah for like, for like a good nanosecond i was like what the hell am i doing but uh <laughs> i was like man this is awesome i mean you know having the ability to bond with your kids and have them feel comfortable to you know smoke cannabis with you or just tell you information is is a beautiful thing so uh yeah. it was a special moment um now so all the time growing up like when she was in high school and all that like she never knew that you smoked Oh, I hit it really well, like super well. Wow, wow, <laughs> yeah, damn, you must, uh, yeah, wow, okay. Uh, where yeah, are you? Go ahead. Uh, especially in the winter time, because uh, she she would always say to my wife, like, you know, Daddy's always in the bathroom, because I would always <laughs> go to the bathroom, turn a fan on, and smoke in there. <laughs> so you know, now years, you know, many years later, I'm like, you know, those times I was in the bathroom, I was actually smoking a lot. <laughs> That's <stuff>. pretty funny. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, you are you married or what's your what's your social status? Yeah, uh, so married. Um, been uh, with my wife uh, sixteen years in total, but been married for nine. I held out pretty long, <laughs> as long as I could. <laughs> <laughs> she eventually said, "Hey, well, what, she eventually what she kind of dropped the hammer and is like, hey, look, are we doing this or not?" Yeah, she was like, "What are we doing here? Are we doing this or not? Like, uh, well, we did <laughs> play in the house, or we going to make this a reality?" So. Uh, <laughs> You know, we took that big leap and it's been a great experience. That's cool, man. What's she do for a living? Um, so she is a, a project manager for a, a large plumbing company, uh, one of the largest in the country. So okay. you know, I always make the joke and say, you know, you're the, the sexiest plumber alive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, working in, a, working in an industry that's completely dominated by men. It's uh, it's totally. interesting some of the stories she tells. I'm just like, he said that to you? Like, really? I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. It was uh, uh, a lady. I think she was, I don't know if it was plumber. Oh, it was welder. She was like a HR for like a welding company, you know? And, uh, and I asked her, I was like, the language, the style, the man. I'm like, she goes, oh yeah. She goes, you know, she's, probably really, it all. she's like, she's like, we really don't have HR here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah, yep. yeah, yep. yeah. Your your wife's probably she's probably hears she probably hears things and she's like, okay. Uh, oh yeah. In, in a normal world, you'd be fired for that, but we'll just move on. <laughs> oh yeah, a hundred percent. Um, you know, it reminds me of my days when I was in college and I worked for United Rentals. Um, you know, a rental company to contractors and construction, and you know, just the it's a different it's a different talk. You oh, know, totally, totally. <laughs> it's a totally different talk, and. Completely. uh <laughs> totally acceptable it's just the way it is but it's a that was a learning curve for me i was like damn okay i could just really say what, whatever's on my mind and use whatever language i want and i don't get in trouble for it this is a cool industry <laughs> i had one of those experiences my dad was in the oil field his whole life uh and at one point he had a roustabout service uh with he had like a couple of backhoes and a bulldozer and he would you know do do projects and i was in junior high and i got to go to work with him one day and 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 i got there and all those roustabout old guys were standing around in the yard and i was just like oh, wow i didn't know dad talked like this on right i came home i told my mom I'm like uh yeah i heard a bunch of words i never heard before <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised your pops didn't tell you like hey now when we go home no Pete anything or say anything to your mom <laughs> he didn't do it now and how and he never talked like that at home I had never heard him curse or anything around my mom at home but man when he was at work with the guys it was just totally different but uh, it anyway. all out <laughs> yeah man for sure okay so 
cannabis was a part of your life as a youth, obviously. So high school, college, I mean, you know, yeah. it was just, it was part of it. The entrepreneurial spirit looks like it was in there, which I find interesting because your mom and dad, you know, one worked for the state, one worked for the government. So they weren't really entrepreneurs. But somehow you you had the bug because you had like a little detailing business going on in college. So you had, talk, talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, you know, my uh, my uh, older sister, you know, she has uh, she's an entrepreneur being, um, you know, working with kids in, in that arena. And my I actually have an older brother, but he passed away and he was an uh, entrepreneur as well. So back in I guess that would be the 80s when water beds were like super hot. Everybody had a water bed. Oh, yeah, I had one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone in the family here had a water bed and uh, he had like three locations at the time. So. Oh, cool. You know, yeah. So I was reading like PL statements at a very young age just oh. through my brother's interaction. That's where it came from. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so that's where it came from. Um, right. and so, you know, we were really close. So uh, that's where it all started. But, you know, my parents did pretty well. Um, so they had some pretty nice cars. And in order for me to make some additional money, my dad was like, hey, why don't you go wash those cars for us? And, you know, you can make some extra income. So, I was like, sweet, why not? So, uh, you know, I started washing their cars and that really turned into a passion. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I actually don't mind this. And then I started tinting windows in high school and, you okay. know, they started tinting more windows. And I was like, I think I could start a little business here. Um, and uh -huh. so that's when I started aggressive detail. And I remember thinking about, you know, what am I going to name this company? I don't know what to name this company. Then my high school friend said, name it after your personality. <laughs> so I was like, aggressive? He was like, absolutely. Ah, all right. Yeah. And so that's how aggressive detailing was born. And uh, when I initially started it, you know, I can remember like yesterday, I printed business cards off of a home at home computer. Yeah. <laughs> I printed flyers at home and uh, just started uh, passing the flyers out, dropping them in mailboxes throughout the, the neighborhoods. And um, okay. You know, it grew from doing residential work to eventually starting to land contracts with dealerships. Uh, whoa, whoa! Did you did you have employ? Did you have to hire an employees? Or, or oh no? yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first started off, you know, I was using uh, temp work um, okay. Okay. just because I was like, I don't know how, how sustainable this is. I don't want to hire people and it's just be like a mm -hmm. rush and then nothing mm -hmm. happens. Yeah, good idea. So uh, hired temp workers at first, but as you know, like they're not. It's hard to get skilled people when it comes to detailing cars when it's this temp work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as the company grew and I started to get these relationships with dealerships, so I was like, all right, now I got steady clients and steady uh, steady income. So that's when I started hiring people. Okay. And then we we grew that to start doing boats. So I started getting uh, contractual relationships with marinas. And then we started doing small planes like Cessnas. I mean, anything that had a boat uh, engine in it, we were detailing it. Nice. Nice. That's great. So that, and you were doing that while you were going to school. You started it while you were in college, right? Or no? Uh, yeah, I really started it when I was in high school. Uh, my okay. senior year of high school, I started it and then uh, took it full blast when I graduated uh, high school. Okay. Um, went to school at Virginia State in Petersburg. So I put it on ice for a little bit. Um, but I, my name just my phone just kept ringing and ringing. So I said, you know what, mom and dad, I know you don't, you're not going to like this, but I'm dropping out of school. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. They, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They weren't happy. Mom definitely wasn't happy. 
Definitely not. So I did uh I did my freshman year at uh Virginia State in Petersburg, Virginia. I came home, dropped out of school. <laughs> Alana was born, started the detailing business, and uh yeah, just ran with it. Had like 15, 20 employees at the height. I was able to put myself through college with that business and then because you went uh, back to you went back to school, went to Bowie State University. So you went back to college. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I went back to school because after after Alana was born, I was like, all right, let me start listening to what my parents are saying. And like, I know I'm running this business, I'm making good money, but it's always great to just have that piece of paper just to, you know, rely on just in case, you know, things go sideways, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there, so there, had to be a, there had to be a moment there where, so the, the timeline, if I understand it right, is right about the time you're quitting college, you also have to come home and tell your parents that your girlfriend's pregnant and, and your dad is like, okay, so here, yeah, he's like, here we go. Here we go. Now I'm going to have to take care of a kid. Yeah. I could just see the look on his face. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was intense. Like I said, he was so chill and relaxed. He was like, well, you know, you better figure it out. And yeah. You better figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So I figured it out. My mom was, yeah. you know, happy of course, but also like, yeah, you really better figure it out. <laughs> Uh, but it went good. So you you did well. I mean, you you ran it for what eight years. What uh, why'd you why'd you stop doing that? Uh, two thousand eight, my brother. So yeah, got gotcha. you. Mm. Yeah, mm. when two thousand eight happened, a lot of the uh, dealerships mm. were closing up, or they were just hiring. You know, someone that they paid ten dollars an hour to just clean the cars. Mm. Um, a lot of residential income dried up. You know, people were like. I'm not spending money on getting my car washed. I need to make sure I can pay these bills and pay my mortgage. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. So we were working, you know, seven days a week, always open, never close and making like half the money. So it was a tough decision, but I was like, you know, I'm young. Let me just, uh, 25 at the time. I was like, let me just, uh, close this down and decide what I want to do. Um, and then, and then you had to go get like a regular job, which I'm sure you were like, this sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, man, there's no fun. Like, I like being my own boss, making my yeah. own schedule. So, uh, yeah, when I closed Aggressive Detail and I sat around for close to a year, it was like, it was really methodical. Like, what do I want to do? Do I want to start another business? If so, what do I want to do it in? Okay. Uh, but at the time, solar electricity was really hot. I mean, it was, I mean, every everywhere you look, solar this, solar that. And so I went to go work for a solar company and did that for about nine years. Uh, they were owned by uh, Constellation Energy, which is owned by Exelon, so they're the largest utility in the country. So I spent about eight years in the renewable energy uh, division and uh, I loved it. I mean, oh, really? renewable okay. energy. it was a great time. Were you thinking the whole time, like, I'm going to learn this business and start something on my own, or you were just kind of cruising with a career? Yeah, I was just cruising because I was happy. I was making a... All really right. great money. So um, entrepreneurial, even though I always had that, it was needling me. Like I want to get back into working for myself, but yeah. I was doing well, making great money. So really I pushed it to the side for a while. Okay. And your, your daughter's growing up and you guys yeah. are kind of moving along, raising your family. Uh, okay. Um, what happened? You, you, the entrepreneurial bug, just, 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 you couldn't take it anymore. Tell me what happened. <laughs> Well, during that process, when I was working uh, um, in the solar industry, I uh, got into a really bad car accident. Okay. Um, so in 2006, I was involved in a car accident where I fell asleep at the wheel. 
Mm. and was ejected about like 30 feet, um, landed on my head. So I have a beautiful scar right here and a long one that goes pretty much the entire length of the top of my head. Were you wearing your seatbelt? I was not. And were you, were you, did you hit somebody else or you hit like a tree or, or what happened? Yeah. So what happened was I was driving and I had three friends with me. Oh, um, man. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Had three friends with me and every single one of them was asleep. <laughs> we had uh, just got back from dinner. It was like, you know, midnight um, down in DC, actually. Okay. So uh, I'm driving home five minutes from the house, like it always happens. And uh, I just dozed off. And I remember the only thing I remember is waking up, like about to just plow right into the back of this car. And it had children in the back of it. So oh, I, shit. Yeah, man. So I swerved to overcorrect and I overcorrected, hit a guardrail, the car flipped and I was thrown out of it. Okay. So you didn't hit, you didn't hit the car in front of you with the kids in it. Nope, okay. I, I just swerved over correct, and that's when I hit that guardrail. And uh, uh, any any alcohol or drugs in you at the time? No, no, thank God, thank God. Yeah, no shit, bro, because you might you might have went to jail. We might not be talking right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I might be behind bars right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were your friends uh, hurt as well? Were they talk to me about that? Yeah, so uh, they walked away with no injuries, you know, similar to the ones I sustained. Uh, my friend's girlfriend, she did lose like two of her teeth. Um, right. so, that, so that was tough. But, you know, I was pretty much pronounced dead on the scene. Um, mm. Luckily for me, my good friend at the time was going to school at John Hopkins to become a doctor, which she is today. Okay. Uh, so she's the one who used that, you know, her medical instinct. Uh, ran to my aid um, until the helicopter arrived. So I, I definitely owe her, you know, mm. everything. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her because I was pretty much like, leave mm. him alone. He's pretty much dead. Wow, life changing, life changing event. Obviously, yeah. Life yeah, man, here for a reason. That's for sure. Mm. Are you? Do you have? Are you a faithful guy? Do, or, or, or are you now? Or what? What's what's your status? Uh, are you? Do you say prayers every day? Or I'm, I'm guessing you were saying some that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I don't pray every day, but I, I've always had a, a faith, uh, believing in a higher power. But um, after that accident, it definitely, you know, yeah. reinstilled it that, you know, there's someone out there who's looking over us all and yeah. something decides to take, someone he decides to uh, leave because there's more work to be finished. So uh, did, did you yeah. wake up? On, did you wake up on scene or you woke up in the hospital? Uh, I woke up in the hospital days later. Days later. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I suffered a traumatic brain injury as a result. Um, and uh, that's what uh, changed my path uh, ultimately, because when I was released from the hospital, I was prescribed just a deadly cocktail of opioids. I mean, yep. you know how this how it works. Absolutely. This is the, this is what happens. They, they just write script prescriptions for the Oxycontin or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Oxycontin, Xanax, Percocets. I mean, you name it. I, I was prescribed it. And, yep. you know, to put that in context, like prior to that car accident, I can remember on like one hand how many times I've used a pill for anything, okay. um, even a headache. And so when I was forced with this decision, like, all right, well, here's your bag of drugs that you got to use for the rest of your life. I'm like, really? Um, so I did it for about three years, um, use these prescription pills and you know, my girlfriend, who is, you know, my now wife was the one who was like, after three years, she was like, enough is enough. Like the side effects, I was getting irritable. I mean, 
Mm-hmm. It was a dark day, a dark time in my life. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's when I said, enough of this. I'm putting all my faith back into cannabis because it's something that always, you know, made me feel good. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you were, st- were you still smoking kind of casually or you just increased the smoke and decreased the pills at that time? Yeah. So it was, a, it was a blend. So I, you know, weaned myself off the pills by, you know, using cannabis and <laughs> that took about, I want to say like six months. Um, wow. Mm. definitely the toughest thing I did in my life man um mm. by mm. far uh but yeah. I was able to get completely off of pills and this use cannabis moving forward um did you see that uh series with Michael Keaton in it about the oxycotton uh up in West Virginia or whatever I mean damn I, that was like holy shit these people are getting hooked on these these pills so easily what what was the hardest pill for you to stop taking uh, I would say it's probably with Xanax. Okay. Uh, because mm. that's benzodiazepine, and so um, it just changes the, it just changes your chemical imbalance in your brain, man. And um, you know, a lot of people, it's it's clearly defined, and if you read the fine print, that once you stop taking Xanax, suicidal thoughts can start to happen. Did uh, that happen? Did that? Oh happen? yeah. Oh really? yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. Cause it just changes your whole mindset. And so Xanax was definitely the toughest, toughest to, uh, to cut loose. Well, the pseudo suicidal thoughts were, was it because of pain and your mind is saying, I don't want to live with the pain or just other hallucinogenic. Ty- I don't, how, I don't, yeah. Educate me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to really nail down. It was kind of like, uh, yeah, the pain and this is the best drug. It's like, you know, a, a silver bullet, if you will. Mm. Um, so it was like the, the one thing that I knew if I took that, I would always have instant relief. I'd feel calm because, you know, suffering a TBI, like I've never had anxiety. And once I suffered that TBI, now I have crazy anxiety. Um, and Xanax is perfect for treating people with anxiety. Mm. And so, um, I was like, man, this is something that's always worked for me. I'm scared to cut it out. And then once I did cut it out, my brain was just like, you need it, you need it. And when I was trying to tell my brain, no, I don't need it. It was like, do I even want to live my life like this? This constant mm-hmm. battle inside. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was challenging. How did you go back to work uh, right away? How long did it take you to, to go back to work? Uh, it took about, man, it's hard to keep. It's yeah. hard to really put that in, into a time because there's so much was lost, but I think it took about three months before I went back to work. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So you, you, this event really catapults you further towards cannabis being a, a relief and a, and a substitute for these shitty ass pills. And, and you became even more of a fan about what cannabis can do for you beyond just having a good time and getting high. You really started diving into that. Yeah, it totally changed the way I view cannabis. Like before I was just like, oh, it's just something I like to do because I get a catch of buzz and whatever. Uh, but after using cannabis and being more um, conscious about my cannabis use, I was like, this is a medicine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing research into it. And I was like, holy shit, like cannabis, cannabis has been used for thousands of years as a medicine. Yes. I mean, it wasn't until like the 1920s where, you know, the U.S., um, made cannabis illegal and that was all driven by racist motives. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I was like, this has always been a medicine. And so I really started to dive into it, but you know, 
fast forward many years later in Colorado, it becomes the first state to actually legalize cannabis for recreational use. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the first pe- people on a plane out there. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I got to see what this is all about. Yeah, yeah. Wide open, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, uh, okay. So how does the entrepreneurial piece start? W- walk me into Tetragram. And by the way, uh, let's just get this in here real quick. Um, it's tetragramapp.com. Tetragramapp.com is a website. Walk me into this transition. Um, how does this develop for you, this business, Tetragram? Talk to me about that. So when I went to Colorado um, and I went into a dispensary for the first time, I was just blown away. Like def- definitely had that WTF moment. Like <laughs> I thought I knew everything there was about cannabis. And, and when I walked into that dispensary, I was like, holy shit, like, I've only seen cannabis and flour, but now I'm seeing it in concentrates and, you know, all these other different form factors that you just don't see in the legacy market. Mm -hmm. Um, Learning about terms such as indica, sativa, I'm like, what is all this, you know? (laughs) And so uh, when I came home, came back home, Maryland legalized their program years later. And then I started learning about terpenes and cannabinoids. Um, you know, terpenes is what gives cannabis its smell and its taste and uh, different cannabinoids that give it a certain effect as well. So I was like, there's so much more of this. And everyone that I talked to um, said, you know, it's best to keep track of what you're using because there's so many products to choose from. Cannabis affects everyone differently. Um, there's no way you're going to figure it out on your own, trying to recall all of this by memory. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's what I had the light bulb effect. And I was like, because I, I would see dispensaries selling paperback journals to patients saying, here's a journal, write down what you're using, how it oh. made you feel. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And every person I talked to that had a medical background, because here in Maryland, every dispensary has to have someone with a medical background at the dispensary so that they can provide that handholding approach and cannabis okay. education. Okay. And every every nurse I talked to was like, use a journal, keep a journal, keep a journal. I'm like, we live in a day and age where everything we do is on our phone. I'm not going to yeah. write this down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was the light bulb effect, Steve. That's why I was like, all right, um, I see a need here. I see people using these journals. Why don't I build an app so that people can keep track of all that information on their phone? Love it. Now I'm guessing the first the first thing you did probably was like, okay, has anybody built an app? Is there any competitors? I'm sure you looked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I looked and there were like only two at the time. Okay. Um, One was actually in our backyard here in Washington, D.C. And the other one was in Canada. So I looked at both of those apps and I was like, they're not very user friendly. Um, I could tell they're built by people who probably don't smoke. (laughs) So, (laughs) and, you know, only two companies in this huge industry. I was like, there's room for advancement. There's room for someone to do it better. So, Learned from them, took some of their their uh, their mistakes, and then applied it to uh, what we built today. Yeah, but you're not a you're not a coder. You don't know how to code. What and I mean, talk to me. How, how did you get it built, and how did you find the cash to pay the software engineers to do it? Well, talk to us about the construction of it. Considering you're not a family trust multimillionaire, so you didn't have like ten million dollars <laughs> sitting over here, and then you're also not a a software engineer. So how did you put this together? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, so I spent three years as a computer programmer, but I told my dad, I was like, 
I don't like this. Uh, I don't okay. want to sit in a room and program all day. So I knew enough to be dangerous, but oh, okay, okay. It took me about two years to find my business partners. Um, so I was, you know, hunting for two people. One person had to be a developer, basically build the back end, the skeleton, if you will, the application. Yep. And then one person had to be the designer, the UX designer, it puts the color and the text and everything in place. Okay. Um, and so by living at that time, I was living in Baltimore and it was a local watering hole right down the street that I used to always go to and uh, met my business partner, Julius Moore, there through a mutual friend. Um, so I met him and then he introduced me to Lucas Rowe uh, because they used to work together. And so I, I basically pitched the idea to both of them and they were like, yeah, I like it. And both of them were cannabis uh, users, which was important to me mm -hmm. um, because I feel like, you know, in order to build anything, you have to have a, a, a tie back to it in some way. Mm -hmm. um, so by both of them being users of cannabis and Lucas especially has a medical condition where, you know, similar to me, where he doesn't want to use pills, he wants to use plant-based medicine. So he really saw the need for cannabis and how it was helping him. Uh, and so that's how we got the team together. So that took about two years. And then, you know, all this time while I was working at uh, Constellation Energy, I was making great money. I mean, I was making 250, 300K a year. And so okay. I stockpiled a lot of my cash. I've always been a saver. Okay. Um, so once I got what I thought was going to be enough money, which damn sure wasn't enough money <laughs> <laughs> never well, is it never yeah, is exactly. i said all right once i get 100 grand liquid i'm leaving corporate america and uh that's what i did so i i took that 100 grand left corporate america um focused full-time on building tetragram with julius and lucas so we built the beta version that's out now come i'd say 95 percent in-house okay um, and then were they doing it? Were they doing it like nights and weekends and they kept their other jobs at first or how'd they, yeah. or did they, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, they kept their full-time jobs. Um, so there was a certain aspect of the beta version that we have that, uh, you know, they just weren't skilled enough to do. And so uh, I, I, I reached out to uh MindGrub, which is a IT app development firm here in the mid Atlantic, probably the biggest in the mid Atlantic and uh, made inroads with the CEO there and shared my vision for what we were building. Okay. And he was like, I really like this. <laughs> I really like this. I see a lot of potential with what you're building. And so uh, he came in and said, you know, we'll build out the remaining pieces. And I paid cash for that um, in order for them to build that out. So we got that beta version out the door pretty lean. Okay. Uh, so your, your co-founder, are they co-founders or business? How, how you guys got it set up on the structure? Co-founders. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did you split 30? How, what was the ownership structure? Can you share or do you want to share that or, or no? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't mind. I own the lion's share just because, you know, it was majority of my capital that we were using. Okay. Uh, plus it was my initial idea. So, okay. you know, I'm close to 80% of the company. Okay. So you're in control. Um, so, and then you get this, uh, this, uh, I, this app development company to finish it off. You pay cash for that. Now, how are you living? Well, I guess you were just, your, your wife's salary was paying the bills. How are you surviving at that time? I'm just curious financially. What, 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 and, yeah. and two, two part question. And 
How was your wife feeling emotionally when you were like, yeah, uh, I know I made 250 last year, but I'm going to quit my job and use our savings to start this thing. Can you talk about both of those? <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the things I did when I left corporate America was I got a job at a dispensary. Oh, um, okay. All right. Yeah. There was a dispensary right up the street from my house. Um, literally, I could have rode my bike there. And so I got that job for a number of reasons. One, I mean, it was an hourly job. It was only like $15 an hour, but any money can help when you're not making anything and you're mm -hmm. pouring money out. Mm -hmm. um, so I got a job there just to bring some type of income in. But more importantly, I got a job there just so I can understand the pain points in the industry from a consumer's perspective and from a dispensary's perspective. Yeah, great idea. Great idea. Although yeah. although your wife, your wife's like, okay, you went from 250 to 35 grand a year. Okay, good job. Oh, yeah. It was tough, too, man. Talk about humbling times. Sometimes I'd see uh, people that I knew, friends, and they'd be like, oh, talk about a fall from grace. Huh? <laughs> yeah, they're like, bro, they're like, hey, man, did you hear Otha's like working at a dispensary as like a butt tender? You know, they're talking about you at the bar, right? They're like, what the exactly, hell? Exactly. <laughs> you know, I know those conversations were happening, but uh, uh, not to mention your parents. Your parents are like, well, let me get this straight. So you, you, you you finally recover from quitting school and, and 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 getting your girlfriend pregnant early on. You recover from that. You finish school. You get a great job. You're making great money. And now you just quit all that to go be a butt tender. Oh, I bet they were <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, what are you? They're like, oh, what are you doing? Right. I had to had to. Have. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. But, you know, I uh, like my friend said, I'm. I have an aggressive personality and people know that when I put my mind to something, you know, I'm a win. Like, uh, okay, you know, cool. I always joke and say like my plan B is to make my plan a work, you know? Um, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's, you know, that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, so you're working at the bud tender, your wife's working. Yeah. So she's, she's making she a little money. Okay. Okay. Yeah, my wife, my wife working, she, you know, she makes really good money. So she was able to support us, um, you know, while I was building this thing out. So, you know, that, that's that's something I was very fortunate in because a lot of people don't have that support system. So it worked out really well for me. Bro, my third year. So when we started, I was same thing. I was making around 250 as a COO and CEO for a couple of $50 million companies, retail, wholesale. And uh, I quit to start RiderFlex, our recruiting firm. And the first year I paid myself nothing. The second year, I think I paid myself 30 grand. And the third year, I think maybe it was close to 50 grand. And I remember, I'll never forget my wife. She's like, one day she's like, you know, she goes, I know you're really enjoying this and this is your passion, but you, if we don't start, if you don't start making more money, this isn't going to work. <laughs> no, no, I'm right there with you. Like, uh, she definitely gave me a timeline. Like, all right, you know, I'll give you. Yeah. Like, you know, the average company takes what, like three to five years before they start getting cash flow positive and can actually pay themselves. So he's like, so I'll give you four right in the middle and, uh, you know, either okay. make it happen or you got to go back to corporate America. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Considering she was supporting you, right? Like she's because, if you know, if it, the reality is, and I tell my wife this, like if it wasn't for our wives, it sounds like we were both in the same situation. If we if it wasn't for our wives and their jobs at the time, we may not may not have been able to do it. Right. Probably oh, yeah. Couldn't yeah. 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 A hundred percent. Cause you know, that hundred grand that I had saved, I mean, we blew through that so quickly and I was just like, damn, I thought this was going to last us, but, uh, <laughs> it's just the life of entrepreneurship, you know, no doubt. So right now is probably a good time. Why don't you, as the company stands today, 
do the give us the tetragram elevator pitch for everybody that is just now hearing about it. Give it give us the pitch. Tell us about it. Yeah, so Tetragram is a mobile app that empowers cannabis and CBD consumers to really take control of their personal journey with cannabis through our mobile app. So they have the ability to not only document what products they're using and then rate how effective those products are specific, specifically for treating a medical condition, but they also share that information anonymously, not only with other cannabis consumers, but also with their dispensaries or doctors. So you know, at the end of the day, the data helps consumers be more uh, knowledgeable about what products might potentially work best for them so that they can shop more effectively. Um, mm. And then all the data that we collect on the back end anonymously, uh, we provide back to dispensaries, brands and doctors so that they can have a better understanding of products that are in the market and their potential effects. So how, what's the business model? Do, do, do the consumers pay for the app or are you selling the data or both? How, are you, how do you make your money? Yeah, so consumers would never pay for the app. It was, it's completely free. Um, our business model is charging dispensaries, brands, and doctors for access to the de-identified data that we collect. Gotcha. Um, in addition to that, we also are involved in research. So you know, our platform is utilized as the data collection partner. Um, with universities and independent researchers. And that's not only with cannabis, but also for mushrooms as well, which is something that we have a lot of interest in. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, how big is the company today? I don't like, um, do you want to give us a general size of revenue or employees? I don't know how much you want to share. I know it's a private company, but just how big are you? Yeah. So um, we're still uh, small, but mighty. So it's still uh, Julius and, uh, uh, and Lucas and myself. So it's still the three amigos. Okay, um, but we have our tech partners, which are MindGrub, of course, and One Rivet. So, you know, we have an army behind us when it comes to our tech development. All right. Um, in terms of revenue, we're actually about to be knocking on the door, generating revenue. So, you know, we've done a little bit of revenue generation with our beta version through our research opportunities. Okay. Um, but we haven't really fully broke out in terms of res uh, you know, our revenue until. We release our our flagship version of Tetragram, which I'm happy to announce today will be out in the next couple of months. So it's really exciting times. Uh, I see. So really, okay. So you're you're still early on, uh, technically pre-revenue, technically still in beta, but the the full version coming really soon. That's great. Um, yeah, you, super excited about it. How? Damn, that's a long time. So you've been doing it for two three years. It's a long time, but no salary, bro. That's a long time. Did you raise some cash? How, how? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been uh, almost three years with no salary, man. So just dumping money out. So, mm. you know, we were fortunate enough to raise a half a million dollars. Oh, you um, did? Oh, oh, bingo. There you go. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But that half a million came indirectly. So it wasn't actually cash in, in hand. It came through our tech services to build out Touchagram 2.0. So let me so ask still, you, did they? Okay. So, yeah, so, so still no money going in my pocket. Got, got, got you, got you. So, so you made a deal with with the IT company, so to speak, to do services exactly. that that were valued at a half a million. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. What did did they get equity for that, or are they on a loan, or how did you how did you spend that? Yeah. So we we exchanged equity in exchange for the services. Great job. So, yeah. Great job. Great job. Yeah, 
Yeah, best way to do it. And that was at a $4 million evaluation. So what? Who got who who said you were worth four million? You and your co-founders? I <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, yeah. We had if it was me, I'd say it'd be 12 million. But uh but no, it was um we had an out, outside party, a third party actually do our evaluation for us. Okay. And that was uh Shulman Rogers. So um major shout out to them as well. Who paid for that? Uh, that service. Uh, you, you... <laughs> coming out of my pocket <laughs> uh, hey great move so this is a good let's just take a breath right here because for the listeners um you know everybody says oh hang on to your equity as much as you can well yeah that's a great that's great in theory but there are times when you're early on like this where if you if you haven't raised any cash yet or you don't have friends and family that are going to write a check for five hundred thousand. It's a great move to talk to one of your providers, a supplier or a service provider that you're using to try to get your product launched. If they believe in you, a lot of times they will invest, so to speak. Maybe it's cash. Maybe it's just services. Sometimes they'll do a loan. Sometimes they'll do it for equity. But that that's a great, great move on your part. And are you still in control of the company, even though you gave them a piece of equity? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you know, with the equity we gave up, it's less than 10%. And again, that just goes to show the value of our of our company, the valuation. Um, but to your point, I always, that's one of the things I learned early on through some of my mentors is directly what you said. Like, you know, if you take cash, it comes at a heftier price tag. Um, and especially for us being in the tech side of things, you know, having strategic partners that you know, they could give you cash, but more importantly, give you the tech services you need to really scale and be lean. That's, yes. that's, very, that's, that's crucial. Um, super crucial. And I will admit, like, um, I did a pitch competition with Connectpreneur, uh, which is based here in Maryland, uh, DC area. And Tetragram was only out about six months at that time. And I raised a million dollars within 24 hours through that. But I want to, yeah, I want to share this because I learned a lot through that process. So you know, raised a million dollars, had the term sheet signed, and the investor had no connections to cannabis whatsoever, had no connections to technology. It is what the industry calls dumb money when it comes to raising capital. Mm. And so that investor was taking two to three months after we had the term sheet signed to deliver the funds. And so I started looking, I was like, you know, we've only been out six months. I'm giving up close to 20% equity in my company right off the bat. I'm going to need to raise capital again, which is just going yes. to further dilute me. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I declined it. I actually uh, canceled it. It was a tough decision, but it's probably one of the best decisions I've made as an entrepreneur because, you know, finding strategic partners that not only bring capital, but bring resources or relationships is so much more powerful than it's someone with capital. Great move, Otha. Great, great move. And you're right. Um, so many of these investors, and I'm going to piss off some of my investor friends because I've had a shit ton of them on the podcast, but <laughs> uh, so many of them strategically give you just enough cash knowing that they're going to have to write another million dollar check in 12 months and dilute you further, right? Like it's a strategy yep. Like, and you got to be really careful with that. You have to really understand like, okay, if I'm giving this percentage up, I run out and then they're going to take another 20%. So yeah, you got to be super careful. Yeah. Great move on your part. Yeah. And that's why, that's why, you know, we're able to be, you know, very lean where, 
you know, I'm able to, you know, use my wife, of course, and, um, you know, yeah. not shelling out tons of money for IT, because anyone who knows IT know it is not cheap. Um, I mean, B2 alone is, you know, 300, 400,000. So, yep, yep. you know. Yep. Uh, great move. A um, couple more questions here. I know we're almost out of time. I, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're I'm bumping you up against something you got scheduled. Uh, is this a race against competition? Because, uh, you know, other people could build an app, right? You, you can't really like super secret patent it, but yeah. What's your, what's your, do you just see this as a branding race, race to market to, to, to capture as many users before other people do this? How, how do you see it? Yeah. I mean, to a degree, um, you know, with those two companies that were out prior to us going live, um, you really, no one had really heard of them. Okay. Um, you know, to the credit, one of those companies was specifically focused on just the research side, but okay. um, definitely it is a race to get market share uh, for sure, which okay. is why we spent a lot, an enormous amount of time building out our brand, uh, building out our mission behind why we built Tetragram, like you see behind me, built for patients by patients. And that, I like that. that really yeah. resonates with people. So, like yeah. you know, now that version, our beta version has scaled so dramatically, the cat's out of the bag. So now everyone's trying to build what we're doing. Um, so it's an exciting time because, you know, competition creates innovation, but at the same sure. time, we need to be at the mark, at the finish line first. Okay. I really think there's a need for what you're doing and I can, I can, I can, you know, give you testimony on why I think it is. So I'm 50, I'll be 56 this summer, unfortunately, but, uh, when I was, uh, growing up, you know, it's kind of like you talked about earlier, there were two kinds of weed when I was in high school and college, I call it two kinds of weed. You had friends that had good weed with no stems and seeds in it and then you had the shitty weed with stems and seeds like those are the only two kinds of weed i knew like there were no strains and names and indica yep. I, I there was none of that got, none of that i got kind bud i remember that it was always kind <laughs> bud yeah i'm like you know it is so true bro you, you said first time you walked into a dispensary same thing here in colorado first time i went to a dispensary they start talking about all these different things and all this stuff i'm like wow this is nothing like i remember growing up like you know i just remember you either had weed or you didn't have weed that was it yep yep, yep. <laughs> but my point is um now that we can go to dispensaries my wife and i um and we're uh we're, we're what i call uh, bedtime users it helps us go to sleep so we're you know usually at night like we're getting ready to crash or whatever we'll do a little just to, to sleep or maybe at a casual party or something but there's so many strains and flavors and this and this and this that half the time I can't even remember what I bought last time. Or, you know, I'll be like, oh, that one thing we bought, like, what, what was that? I, and then I'll go to the dispensary. I can't fucking remember. I'm like, I don't even remember what I bought last time. And then some kid behind the counter suggests something else. And so I never track it. And so, yeah, if I had an app that really helped me track it better, I, I think I would do I would be a better purchaser and a smarter buyer. So. I, I love yeah. the idea. Yeah, and that's the whole goal. Um, you know, that's why we live by the word empowerment because you know by keeping track, you as a consumer, you'll know uh, what products are going to work best for you. But you know, ultimately, when you go into a dispensary and specifically for medical conditions, and you're like, "Hey, Steve, I got anxiety. What do you recommend?" Yeah, that bud center doesn't know the first clue about what to recommend to you. 
That's right. And, yeah. and by yeah. utilizing our data, we can change that concept so that they're more consultative with saying, hey, see, if you suffer from anxiety, 4,000 people are rated this product working well. Let's start here. And that's huge in terms of changing the, uh, you know, that experience when you're in the store. Love it. Love everything you're doing. Tetragramapp.com. Tetragramapp.com. You can also uh, connect with uh, Otha on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Otha Smith the third on LinkedIn if you uh, want to look him up there. Any other websites or URLs? I know you're, you guys are on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, anything else you want to mention? Yeah, uh, definitely uh, follow us on Instagram at the Tetragram app. Um, you have to spell it completely out or else you won't find us because we've been shadow banned. <laughs> That's okay. another issue in this industry. But uh, yeah, you have to come back. That's another show. We'll do another show on that topic. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we need a couple of shows for that one. But uh but yeah, um, and just be on the lookout for version two will be out in the next couple of months. So that's going to be our flagship version. So we're excited about it. Congratulations, Otha. Thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. Thank you for having me, Steve. Had a, had a great time. Uh -huh.